supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in this race for space. Welcome to the Three Beards Podcast. My name is Craig, along with Austin and Chris. This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Brott's Beard Care. Amazing beard care products for it keeps all of us looking pretty good, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> Thanks to the handcraft of a local craftsman, Kelly Brott. And check him out, brottsbeardcare.com. Awesome stuff. Can't, can't talk highly enough about it. In tonight's episode, we are welcoming in... A very esteemed guest and by the name of Catherine Children. She has written an amazing book called Shakespeare Suppressed, the uncensored truth about Shakespeare and his works. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wonderful and to meet you. Also, yeah, we're welcoming it to a mutual friend who you've been on his show um, at least, I know one time, maybe a couple, um, Mark Eddy, who got me and Austin, Chris, in touch with you through mutual thing. And he kind of pitched this to me when we were talking. He's like, would this be something you guys be interested in? And I'm like, I don't really know a lot about Shakespeare. It was always, for me, it was always a subject that was, you know, kind of like, Oh, I got to read Hamlet. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, it, it was it were like that. And then as he described it, you know, I'm I kind of always do this one thing where it just is kind of like when I start feeling that, you know, like and I'm like, OK, yeah, that, I, I like this one. And then he sent me the clip of your guys' show and I, I was listening to it. I told the guys, I'm like, this is going to be pretty interesting. I'm like, this one is one just from the way she describes it and the way they do it. This is something that even the novice who doesn't know much about Shakespeare is going to be pretty well intrigued about it because it adds this whole other aspect of who you think Shakespeare was. It wasn't really him. Mm. You know, incredible. So we'll kind of kind of take take there. I, mean, I wanted to, you know, before we really get into the story, um, when you're with Mark Eddy on his show, you were talking about March 4th, 2020. You guys were going to do a Washington D.C. press club. Now, was that able to take place with COVID? It, it did. It happened pretty much just before they were lockdowns. Nice. And that was the hundredth anniversary of J. Thomas. I want to say Loney, but it's. I've also heard it Looney. So it's one of those. I'm not sure which. You know what? We 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 got in touch with their descendants, and they say it was pronounced Looney. Okay. Which our detractors uh, don't <laughs> aren't very nice about that name. But anyway, he was an English schoolmaster, and he was the one who discovered that Shakespeare really was the pen name for the 17th Earl of Oxford. His name Edward de Vere, and um, and he he gave a very convincing um, account of why, and that's what we were celebrating this year. Nice. So um, was it a pretty good-sized gathering with 
COVID going on or was it a little bit? Actually, I wasn't lighter? able to make it, but I understand there was about a hundred people. Oh, nice. And, um, nice. We, we got a few articles out of it. Um, Are you going to be able to make Ashland? Well, you know, our yeah, annual conference, meaning the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship, that was supposed to take place this year, um, but it had to be canceled because of COVID. But yeah. we are going to do, uh, we're going to stream it. We're going to have several speakers uh, stream oh, nice. some lectures. So I'm going to be part of that one. Yeah, um, I moved down. Uh, the three of us live in Central Florida area, and yeah. I moved from Oregon. I was born and raised there, so I know about the Shakespeare Festival in Ashland Absolutely. very well. Yes. Yeah, it's right down I five. It just we knew it. I, it's it was a mecca. I mean, if you're into Shakespeare, you're into watching the plays. I mean, you think of a Renaissance fair on steroids. Everybody, it's it's basically the Comic Con for Shakespeare. Yes. everybody shows yes. up and yes. do these. It it's quite the experience uh, if you've never been there before you're just having I mean, everybody with the frills i mean it just, it's yeah i apologize that's, yeah, that's, my, that's my technical term for it the frill yeah you're not listening to me for high technical you know journey. That's, why, <laughs> that's why we brought you on <laughs> so yes yeah, so that i was wondering about that and wanted to get on that in but where I want to, I actually talked to Mark today a little bit about this, and I was wanting to pitch this off to you, especially with, you know, Jay Thomas, you know, Looney's book coming out, you know, Shakespeare Identified. What do you think he would have been able to discover and find out about the, the Duke? It is, and find, you know, nowadays with all the genealogy research that can be found online, all you know, all the instant access to documents. How do you think that would have helped frame his book as well as aided in your research as well? Well, um, I think it would have helped him a lot and he may have come to a few different uh, conclusions about when some of the plays were dated. Um, and also, uh, like for example, he didn't think that Shakespeare wrote The Tempest. And he gave his explanation why, but I think uh, we have found further research um, that shows that he certainly did, and much earlier than than is believed. So yeah, he he would have benefited by it, but um, he was you know mainly focused on you know who was this great author because he was teaching um, Shakespeare in English schools. He was a schoolmaster, and he and he constantly. Uh, taught Shakespeare plays, and he couldn't quite understand the man behind the plays and the story of his supposed biography. He just saw a disconnect. And the story is that he was um, a man of humble origins from a small town, that he somehow um, made it to London, broke into the theater, started as an actor, and then became a writer and the rest was history. Um, but unfortunately, um, there is no evidence that this story is actually true. Wow. <laughs> and um, so he, he discounted the orthodox story, uh, the person born in Stratford, we call him the Stratford man. And uh, he, he focused um, on what are the characteristics that the author tells us. Mm. And he made a list. <laughs> 
of all these characteristics that he had to have been very highly educated. He had to have been probably someone of the nobility or the upper class. Um, he had to be somebody who had kind of um, not that great experiences with women. And there was a whole list and, and pretty much the only one left while, while he was searching was the Earl of Oxford. And his life fits the life of Hamlet. And you'd mentioned Hamlet to be, the beginning, which even the uh, Orthodox scholars think was the most autobiographical. But if you look at the, the character of Hamlet, he was a prince, he was a university student, he traveled out of the country, um, he had a company of players. I mean, the list goes on. He, uh, Hamlet, um, when he was coming back to Denmark, his ship was attacked by pirates hmm. and he almost was killed. Hmm. Well, the same thing happened to the Earl of Oxford. So you see all these parallels, building, building, building. And then you look into the life of the Earl of Oxford that he had a superlative education. I mean, he went to Cambridge University when he was eight years old. Wow. And then he went on to Oxford University. Wow. He graduated with a master's when he was 16. And then he went on, uh, took a grant uh, to law school. Then he took a grand tour of Europe. Um, he had so many life ex interesting, uh, fascinating life experiences beyond being one of the highest ranked noblemen in the land at the time. And we're talking 16th century England with Queen Elizabeth I. Yeah. Um, today we have Queen Elizabeth II, um, but she, she's the second Elizabeth. The first one was in Shakespeare's time. And that's, you know, kind of um, through your interview with Mark um, previously on that nightlight on the nightlight show. This one was kind of, uh, let you expand on that. So in, through discussions with him and listening to that interview with myself, I really found that a way compelling now as I'm reading some of the thonets and I'm doing this stuff that if it was in fact the, you know, Edward De Vere, right. this, what this does now is this gives a whole nother, you know, depth to those words to where I, I want to butcher the line. And he kind of helped like to thine own self be true. Yes. To one of those, well, wouldn't that be to that point where it's like, this is kind of like a nod saying, this is, this is me, but I can't tell you. I'm just kind of giving you a hint to the, you know, and I'm saying to myself, I feel bad that I can't say this, you know, in a way of saying, but you know, that to thy known self be true. Well, you know, um, his name here, it means, it means truth or verity. Um, so he, he was very much committed to putting the truth in the place. And that is why they're so autobiographical, especially Hamlet. So, so that to thy own self be true would be more like you said, that'd be a nod to, you know, my own last name. It's, so it would be nice yes. to like hear it. Yes. And you felt, so you guys kind of, you know, we've, we've also forgot to mention Mark Twain also wrote, you know, that he doubted the authorship, you know, of this works. Then in one of those, like I, I wrote down here and I would, I was curious for you, what, would you say are the specific characteristics or tone that you could that you would see between Edward de Vere and Shakespeare's writings that would be kind of like a you know you could look at this and this in his actual 
Edward Devere's writings and Shakespeare's where you're like, it's clearly the same feel and the same way um, art, you know, artistic way of saying that. Well, um, we have about, um, I believe it's about 70 letters that have survived of the Earl of Oxford. And someone did a study showing how many similar phrasings there were between the letters of the Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere, and the, Sh the Shakespeare play. So there is a lot of parallel phrasing. Um, but I would think if you, you know, want to really get into the head of the great author, you just read the sonnets. And in fact, one of the sonnets was, every word doth almost tell my name. E. Vere, Edward Vere, every word doth almost tell my name. It was a play on words. You can see it right there. That's cool. So, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like a modern day, like code thing where you're just, it's like, I'm trying to tell you who I am yes. without <laughs> telling you my name, you know, just writing my name on there. Yes. It's like you if you read the sonnets, he's constantly saying how his name is not going to live, which is very odd. So he's, he's addressing a young man in the sonnets, and he's saying that because he's in the sonnets, he's writing about him in his sonnets, that he's going to live forever. Mm. But the author himself says his name will be forever buried. So that, that right off the bat is telling you his real name is not William Shakespeare. It's something else. Wow. Shakespeare's name will live forever. The pen name will live forever, but not the real man's name. Wow. So, you know, uh, yeah. so kind of to expand on that um, a little bit. So, you know, I'll let you take kind of the floor for here. Um, I'll just kind of frame it a little bit here and let you go on it. So here we have a guy who can't let it be known that he is the author of these things. And we have the Stranton man who is given credit for these works. So I'll kind of let you take that in a two part, figure out, you know, how did this come about to where he became the, you know, name right for this other man's work? So why was this the case? And how did they come to be the, the William Shakespeare? How did he come to be the owner of these works? Yes. Well, the, the first thing to keep in your brain, because it can get a little complicated, is that there were two men, two separate men named William Shakespeare. One was born in the small town of Stratford-on-Avon, born with that name. Actually, it wasn't, as we say, Shakespeare. It was actually pronounced Shakespeare. That's the way it was spelled. S-H-A-C-K-S-P-E-R or S-H-A-X-P-E-R, like that, where there's a short A. So um, he was a real person, and there's no doubt about it. But he got involved in the theater. The other man was the poet using a pen name, William Shakespeare. Hmm. And the two got mixed. And oh. I say it was deliberate. And the, the culprit, the, <laughs> well, the, re the reason why that we have made this mistake was deliberate, and it's all because of this book. Interesting. It's uh, Shakespeare's first folio. So this book, big book, it's folio because the page is large. It's a description of a large page. And first, because it was the first book of Shakespeare plays, 36 Shakespeare plays. And it has that very famous image that we all 
if, if you know an image of Shakespeare, you'll think of this one. Yeah, yeah exactly. So if you open up this work, there's an elegy to Shakespeare by Ben Johnson. I can't show the whole thing. Anyway, in the elegy, one line is, sweet swan of Avon. Okay, many, I'm sure many, many of you have heard of that. Okay, and then you just keep opening the pages and then there's another poem that makes reference to Shakespeare's Stratford Monument. So you have Stratford Monument in one poem, Swan of Avon in the other, and people came to assume that the great author was from Stratford-on-Avon, mm -hmm. even though Stratford-on-Avon was not in this book at all. <laughs> and and, and uh, Catherine, one of the most interesting aspects of the first folio is are, are the pages that have nothing written on them. They're just blank pages. Right. That needs See, look. Here's a blank page. This is a facsimile of this work. You just keep opening it. You know, here's another, here's another blank page. There's five blank pages. And there was plenty of room for there to be more information about his biography or, you know, anything. His coat of arms. Nothing. Nothing in this opening pages of this book, which contains 36 Shakespeare plays. Nothing gives any other information, just Stratford on Stratford Monument on one page and Avon on the other. So why do you think they left those blank? I mean, is it, is it, do you, I mean, it, would you believe it'd be intentional? I mean, was there something like, we just didn't have anything to add there or was that something that just, you know, I mean, there was a purpose behind those, like an intent in making sure that those five stayed blank? Yes, yes. Well, no, well, not necessarily to make them blank, but the, the point is that they there was so much more room for information that they did not get. Yeah, that's what that's what I meant. Okay. Just, they just decided, like, eh, you know, that's, you know, we've given them enough. That'll be enough to placate them. You know, they'll think yeah. it's. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, kind of along that one, um, Mark, I mean, we might be jumping to a weird point on it, but I was, he had sent me a couple of photos of the monument that was given to Shakespeare. Yes. Um, Chris, if you want to bring out the black and white one first. Yes, sir, Austin. <laughs> or Austin, Austin, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so here's that, here's that one um, right, right there. And I, one of the picture, um, and in that, and in that photo, there's, I was I was asking him, and unfortunately that one's cropped off there. But I was curious because there, you know, here is um, Austin. If you want to bring up the second photo, kind of comparison. Yeah. So here's what everybody knows. He's got the pen and quill. He's doing there. So we go back to the other. There's cherubs up on the top. So you switch to the next, um, back to the black and white one, and you'll see. And I pointed this out to him. Maybe you'll think, what is the significance of the items that the cherubs are holding along with the fact that it's not a pen and a quill. Here's a man that, uh, apparently is, you know, a grain sack, potato sack. I mean, something of more of an, it looks more of like agricultural. Yeah. And it's in, 
and I was wondering, you know, what was the significance of that? I'm trying to find another picture so I could, um, that one I, I pulled up, I apologize, was cut off, but I'm trying to figure out what the, remember what the other well, cherub is holding. The right there. cherub, he's, it's cut off and he's holding, holding an hourglass. So that there. represents time. Mm -hmm. And then the other cherub is holding um, a, a spade, which is like, you know, I guess to digging, digging up the truth or something. Um, but that monument had been remade for sure. And as you saw, there was many, there's many points of differences. But the most important one is that the effigy of the man is not holding a pen and paper in the original. He's w holding a sack. And we think it is it, a, a wool sack. And, <laughs> and there's the uh, mustache to uh, you know, Craig, Chris, and Austin are would pick up on that too. Uh, what's the difference in the mustaches between the original envisioning of this grand monument and the one we see today? I think the beard's better. We they should have kept the beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His beard. Yeah, not, not that weird, you know, almost like you don't like the uh, the colonel, you know, upturned the mustache. Yeah, the Reynolds, yeah. Renaissance Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of our, uh, get, one of our um, listeners asked, are there any family members that are alive today that are related to the writer? Um, meaning the Earl of Oxford? Yeah. Um, we, we have um, one, his name is um, Charles Bo um, Burford. Okay. And he, he is a collateral descendant, but not a direct descendant. And actually, uh, about 20 years ago, he did a series of lectures in the U.S. He's an Englishman. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, this is, this is my book. Uh, the cover is the Earl of Oxford. Uh, okay. That's who he is. And that's, yeah. That's it's, crazy. You know, so, you know, through our discussions like I had with Mark, um, to me, in a way, you know, not only does it add to death the story, but there's also a level of tragedy in this fact that, you know, here you are, apparently, you know, you have a love interest in the queen. Hmm. And you you are not allowed to divulge this to anybody. You basically, you, you're basically, you know, you got to be shuttled out the back door. You know, and that's the other thing. And it's, it, uh, so to let you get on that, because like for me, that it adds a level of tragedy to this story is in you can't really express yourself in how you want to. You you are forced to put it on, you know, pen and you know, quill and paper. Well, the important thing to understand, which is not clearly said to students of Shakespeare, these works, these plays were originally written for Queen Elizabeth. Number yeah. one. And oh. they're much earlier than, than uh, the, the Orthodox scholars say so. It was to entertain her. And so in entertaining her, she, often there are sort of lampooning or parodies of actual figures in her court, her courtiers. And that would crack her up. That would, you know, yeah. be really funny. And she herself was actually portrayed. And that was complimentary, of course, for her. So, but the problem is, is, over the years, you know, um, some of the portrayals were not that flattering and descendants of those people did not want it to be known that a nobleman in the queen's court was writing these satires because then they would say, oh, well, if he's a nobleman in the court, 
it's got to be somebody in the court that he's making fun of, right? You can make that association. But if the works were written by someone with humble origins, who was not part of the court at all, has no way of knowing these people, it's a, it creates the disconnect. We've got to we find Bill with the wall stack. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta get Bill in his wool sack. You know, he needs to take credit for these things because I'm not taking the fall for this story. Exactly. And I think that that was the sort of the ingenious um, uh, method that they use to separate the true author from his works, and that's that's what has got to be. Hey, it's been 400 years. It's time to correct this mistake. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. You had a question. I was going to say, because um, for me, what I was going to say is, you know, especially the people that are the detractors, you know, that, that don't want to do this. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to have their life's work, you know, upended. You know, I've done this. You know, I don't want you to tell me that my, you know, my hard work is, you know, I've been wrong. But why don't people want to know? I mean, it, it doesn't change anything. It's still amazing literary work. Why not give the actual author the credit that is due. I mean, everybody talks about plagiarism. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the whole point? Giving the, uh, you know, giving the credit to the actual author. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you wrote uh, Romeo and Juliet, wouldn't you want credit? If you Definitely. wrote Bella, wouldn't you want credit? I yeah. mean, it's just Absolutely. natural justice, you know, to the real author. And I think, you know, in the sonnets, he, he lamented the idea that his name would not be attached to his works. He, he knew about it. And, and so, um, yeah, and what I don't understand is, you know, 400 years later, why um, English professors or lecturers are not more interested in knowing their true, the true author, <laughs> because they could understand the work so much better when you have a, a real biography to match the plays against. I mean, like, that makes as I mentioned with Hamlet, you have these autobiographical parallels. But you don't have any autobiographical parallels with the man born in Stratford on Avon. There's zero. I mean, all they have to work with with him is that he got christened, he got married, he had a few children, and he owed taxes. I mean, that's about all we've got on this guy. Awesome. It's true, though. Wait, I have to say, he was involved in the theater as a shareholder, and he was a member of an acting company. I don't doubt that at all. But he was not. A writer. He was not the author. There's no proof of that. No lifetime proof. So, so where did the first like instance where he was, I mean, like, because I'm trying to like my head, how was he selected? I mean, as the one, I mean, was it just like, like you said, actor, he kind of was already in the theater. So this would, he would be a believable, a, a you know, perfect, perfect you know, ball man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, where did you have you found your stuff? What would well, lead the Earl of Oxford? Um, in my research, he that name Shakespeare was used very early, early on, maybe when he was in his twenties, which would be like the fifteen seventies, something like that. Um, of course, if you talk to the Orthodox scholars, they'll say, "Oh, Shakespeare didn't start writing until fifteen nineties. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. like a twenty, thirty year disconnect uh, of timing. <clears throat> So I think he was using that for a while. And it just so happened that somebody of a similar name came to London. Maybe he came because he heard the name Shakespeare, you know, and thought, oh, maybe he's a relative. 
you know, <laughs> associated with the theater, you know, and that's maybe how he got along. But really, the uh, the, uh, the Stratford man was a money lender. That's all the evidence points to him being a financier uh, of the theater, but not a writer of the theater. And I think, I think that the powers that be knew about this Stratford man after the Earl of Oxford died, and then the Stratford man died, they fixed it. They published this book that I, the first folio that I showed you before, yeah. they published this book and they planted those clues. And for posterity, the authorship now is thrown at Stratford-on-Avon. And, uh, and they haven't looked back. Uh, uh, Ka Catherine, when, when a couple minutes ago you were talking about you know this disconnect and um, there does seem to be an admission in uh, at least a few of the uh, sonnets that the author really was an insider, not like a political insider, not the country bumpkin. Uh, you know, you get the that tongue tied by authority. How many authorities could silence uh, another member of the nobility? I think that's kind of odd. And then, then we get the first line of Sonnet 125. And Austin could put that graph up. Yes. With, uh, with the uh, uh, can, can, so you, you know, it, in those two instances, um, you know, we do have some type of uh, statement that the real author was a member of the nobility. Uh, can, yes. can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, in, in the sonnets, uh, a, a good one is um, he describes himself with the term gracious, grace. That was a term that Shakespeare um, used to describe the kings and queens in his plays. So that's one. And then what you just brought up, uh, Sonnet 125, the opening line was, were it ought to me, I bore the canopy with my extern, the outward honoring. Uh, what he's saying is, was it anything to me, I bore the canopy? The canopy was what nobility or high officials would be selected to carry a canopy over Queen Elizabeth as, as she's moving oh, in her coach, yes. right? So that was that, a great trying, honor. Yeah. I'm trying to find so, that picture. I, I I should have had that up there running, and I apologize. Yeah. I don't have, so as we're talking, I'll find that. We'll bring it up there. Because right. there was a painting, and that one was, like, we had it. That one clearly, and as I as I look that, I will find, um, we'll get that up there as continue, and we'll come back to that. Because I, I brought a point in when we were looking at that, because there's a painting, you know, some of the Renaissance painters, they always had a little, their own little flair, you know, they always changed stuff, kind of how they did it. But when you look, there's a queen in being carried in there. And then it, there's one person in the painting that is looking at her in a, in a very particular way. 
that is not like somebody that's just like, oh, hey, oh my God, you know, there's the queen. It was, it was more like, there's my love. There's that's the way. And so, um, like I said, as we go, we'll go into that. We'll get another point and we'll bring that up. Um, like okay. I said, that's one. I apologize. I forgot to send that over to that's Austin so to have that ready to bring up. And as, as we were the, talking about it, the, I, my oh crap moment was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. But what, what Mark was saying was that that line, was, was it anything to me? I, I held the canopy, basically, is what he's saying. And that is for somebody, again, with humble origins who had no ties to nobility. That would have been a huge honor. And yet the person is his voice in the sonnets of the great author is saying, ah, what did it mean to me? Does it mean anything to me? You know, so that sounds like somebody who has done it before and has has been has seen these shows, quote unquote, and it kind of bored by it at this point. Definitely. So again, this is a disconnect between the Stratford man and the great author, in his own words. And that's yeah, and this was some of the stuff where we, as I got, I was really starting to get to my point where I'm, I'm like, all right, this. I'm actually finding myself getting more and more interested in Shakespeare at this point, you know, where it was before it was just kind of, like I said, it was just like, all right, the play, we've all done it. It's all high school, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet. We've all done the plays, you know, and this was bringing a whole nother level. Like we said earlier of this love that cannot be named, this love that cannot be talked about, you know, literally it's like, I want to don't look at me. Look at me. You know, it's just it's like we have to pretend we don't even know each other, and that would that would have to be incredibly hard, especially for two people that, by all accounts, were in you know were really in love you know and loved each other's company. Yes, well, um, you would be referring to the sonnets, which were written mm -hmm. in the first person. They're 154. They're they're like 14 line poems, and yes, he, he gives a lot of his life away. So if you really want to get to, to know the great Shakespeare, you have to read those sonnets. And he, you know, he makes some revelations in there. Um, it appears, if you would read them in the right way, that that uh, the the fair youth, the young man that he he greatly praises in the sonnets, was actually his son, and possibly by the queen, if, if you read them a certain way. Mm. Um, so uh, that that is, but it is factual. Um, that they were very close, Queen Elizabeth and the Earl of Oxford. And they, they were very close in his early 20s. And actually, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was another monarch, heard about them having an affair. So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, hearsay. There, you know, there was, something was going on there. And actually, there is um, a, a picture of the Queen with the Earl of Oxford next to her in a drawing. Um, I don't, I didn't give it, but um, yeah, they, they were, I mean, she, the queen had a lot of favorites, but the Earl of Oxford was definitely one of them. It, uh, Catherine, since you just mentioned, it, if you read the sonnets a certain way, uh, you, you could see where it could be easily interpreted as a uh, father speaking to his son, giving him encouragement for you know the uh, the future uh, 
so it, if you keep that concept in mind, how does the uh, – you can understand why – uh, the, the sonnets were dedicated to him, but they were dedicated after his participation in the Essex Rebellion, too, which that seems kind of odd, but it, you understand why he uh, did not have any consequences for his um, involvement in trying to overthrow the queen. Can you, can you tell us a little yeah, bit about that? That, that? That's a good point. Um, but um, I think a lot of the sonnets were, he's greatly uh, praising the young man. I think that they happened before the Essex Rebellion. The Essex okay. Rebellion, for your listeners, is a, a, the Earl of Essex tried to overthrow Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and the Earl of Southampton who everyone really pretty much believes was the young man of the sonnets. Um, he was part of it. So, um, but I think that the earlier, a good deal of the sonnets were, were written before that. There, there were a couple after, I think. But I mean, this is, we're going into the speculation area, which I rather not, I rather really talk about, you know, who was the real author and that that was the Earl of Oxford and not the Stratford man. And that it's time to, you know, Come clear on it and let people know. I got that picture for Austin to bring up here. Yeah. So um, you can see it's for me what I was looking at. It's the you see the two figures in orange. Yes. One right there. He is looking directly hit. Like if you if you were to draw a line of his eyesight, he is looking to almost directly at the face of the queen. Hmm. Where everybody else in this painting, like the gentleman in the pink. Or to, you know, is he is looking away? Almost yeah. everybody carrying is looking away, and there's only the only other one is the gentleman on the left. Yeah, in the yes. white. His eyes are facing at the queen as in, and those are the two figures. Um, so I'm curious, what what's your take on? I mean, what do you think the artist in this painting was trying to? I mean, was that trying to depict that one of these people was actually you know, the artist? Yeah. The actual, yeah, actual author, or you know, like I said, was, you know, Earl. Um, you know what? Honestly, I, I can't say if the Earl of Oxford was in it. Um, they date the picture, um, like, fifteen ninety nine or so. The Earl of Oxford was, kind of out of the Queen's court at that point, kind of retired from the court. So I can't say for sure if he's in that picture. Um, I think that the artist was maybe trying to, you know, create. Um, you know, putting all the focus on the queen um, and the the luxuriousness of her courtiers, how well-dressed they were um, and what, you know, quote-unquote Gloriana, they use that term um, to describe her and her court. So. Yeah. Uh, and, man, it was, it was one, you know, just kind of touching on things that we've talked about. It's like, too, you know, even like the, the Stratford man, I mean, when you're talking about it, there's absolutely no way that gentleman would have had knowledge of Europe abroad. He wouldn't have had knowledge of the law. Yes. And he wouldn't, you know, foreign language, you know, obviously he might have known some, you know, via through theater, you know, he might have known some Latin. He might have had some, you know, like some basic stuff, but he wouldn't have had the depth 
an actual knowledge that the writer of Shakespeare's work would have to have expressed that because obviously there's no Wikipedia, there's no there's no Google, and that's, so you can't go there's like no public that? libraries. No yeah, what's that, what's that Latin word for you know love again? You know I can't yeah yeah exactly. so you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't have had this access so only somebody who lived those experiences lived those re real events would have been able to express it in the way as Shakespeare did. You're totally right. You summed it up beautifully. Yeah, that that's it. And so, um, it, you know why why won't they address this issue? They being the you know the gatekeepers of Shakespeare. Who are the English professors? And uh, you know, um, it's it's time that they focus on their own their own man and get to know him. Well, in speculation, instead of telling us that we're crazy. Well, in speculation, do. why do you why do you think they keep telling you you're crazy? What does it change by giving the real author the real credit? I I, I don't understand that. We had a similar thing in our last show about not giving the credit of something, something, but why are they, why are they holding back on giving the real credit to the real author you think personally? Um, there, there could be several reasons that they, they don't want to um, upset the status quo because it would, in, it could invalidate their own PhDs, their biographies, you know, their, you know, all that um, would, would kind of be say, Hey, you got it wrong. <laughs> you know, if you if you read a Shakespeare biography today written by one of them, it's like 95% speculation, you know? Or or they give you a history of the period, right? But not a history of the great author because there is none that that is relative to literature. You know. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of I want to, you know, I don't really want, you know, I'm not really looking at like, you know, puff piece like, "Oh my god, you know, it's just like, you know, but for your book, the research you did, the same thing that you did, you know, basically, you know, a hundred years after J. Thomas, you know, Looney's work. Yes. You know, we started the show off that way. I honestly feel a lot of those people that are refusing to do it are missing such a depth to the work that they could be enjoying when they realize the true author was a man who was on that ship. He's recounting an experience he did. And so now instead of it being a work of fiction, just created in the mind of a brilliant you know, author, now you have a, a man who has this rich experience who's writing it from that experience and writing it in such an eloquent way that people four or 500 years down the road are absolutely in love with it and travel across the world across the country to go to you know to an event in oregon to you know for the love of this man why would you not want to experience that i mean that's what I, that's the part i'm struggling with is why you don't want that experience i i agree it, and it's a, it's tragic for people who love shakespeare because they're going to get so much so many more dimensions when they read the plays and and they're going to have a real biography like okay yeah he took a grand tour of europe he uh, his when he came back his uh his uh, ship was attacked by pirates he lost everything he barely lived i mean these are exp interesting experiences when he came home he was told that his wife gave birth to his child later than he was told right so yeah. then he immediately doubted his wife 
He separated from his wife for five years. He called, it was called the fable wow. of the age. Um, everybody knew it. Um, so he lived through that scandal. Then while, while he was separated from his wife, he had an affair with a dark lady of Queen Elizabeth's court. And for it, he was thrown in prison. Um, and the dark lady was thrown in prison and the baby that they had was thrown in prison. So uh, everybody. Suddenly, the, he, it's so much more interesting a person, you know? He was in the tower for three months, you know? And how, messed up, how messed up is the law when you're throwing the baby in prison for something? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 in my head, I'm like... The queen you know, was mad. She was jealous. Well, so, I mean, this gives a new dimension on Queen Elizabeth, you know? Wow. And I'm just so, picturing this toddler hung up in chains. And then oh, gee. In the tower. I'm just like, what did you do that for? I was mad. And the parallel with a Shakespeare play, Measure for Measure, where um, a man is put in jail for having premarital sex with a woman and who got, who got pregnant. So, I mean, it's a perfect parallel. Um, and there's so many of these parallels, and it just enriches the play so much more your experience. Yeah, And that's, yeah. that's why I'm so into it, because people are missing out, and, you know, it shouldn't be the case. Plus, we have so many lovely... Portraits of the Earl of Oxford. There's several portraits. You can look at it and say, hey, he's the one. He's, he's the man who went through this. Interesting. And it just opens up a whole new world. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, just going over, like I said, I just, I don't understand why people are refusing. I mean, I get it where, I mean, I guess we can go from that way. What is probably the biggest criticism that the detractors, you know, they throw at you like, this is my point. You know, how do you respond to this? I mean, what what would you say is the biggest thing they always throw at you, you know, as a counterpoint? Um, well, they, they say that there's no um, smoking gun evidence for the Earl of Oxford as the author, which is true. Um, there is no Shakespeare play manuscript that has survived, right, mm -hmm. in the author's handwriting. If there had been, we could compare it with the Earl of Oxford's writing samples. But, but... The Stratford man, he has no writing samples at all. Mm. Nothing. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, so they can't prove it either, you see? <laughs> they put the burden of proof on us, but they can't even prove their own man. <laughs> when that's, that's it. That's not, I mean, in the realm of an argument, um, I've always said, and I, as I'm teaching my son, I've always used the same line. If you cannot articulate both sides of a position, you have no right to your opinion because you have not taken the time to do your research. All you've done is taken the word of somebody else and you have been indoctrinated, not educated. Yes. And you and you sound like you have way more research than them just yeah. discrediting. Oh, well, it's fake. No, you're 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 going down a rabbit hole. You have more yes. you have more research that makes it sound true. He said many times my name will be, you know. Damn. Yes. Yeah. And that's you know, looking at that, and that's why I was curious, like what they throw at you, because it doesn't it doesn't work when they t when they just say, "Well, you need to prove it." Well, I just laid out a case. Yeah. Now it's uh, it's a you know, tell me where I got it wrong. Well, you just don't have anything to compare it to. Well, that's not what I. Well, I mean, the Earl of Oxford's case is circumstantial, but it's a very a uh, huge amount of circumstantial evidence. The Stratford man has zero evidence. So zero. which one are you going to go for? Yeah. <laughs> zero evidence, you know. Yeah, um, 
the, 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 the powers that be that are the gatekeepers of Shakespeare, they're only going by 300 years of a tradition that started with that folio book, you know, this. They're going with this. And that was after the Stratford man had died and after uh, the Earl of Oxford had died. So, um, you know, if they have to look at their own evidence instead of casting aspersions on people who want to get at the truth, which is what, what we're all about, the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship. There's also another great site, doubtaboutwill.org. Okay. And you can see there's thousands of people who have signed a petition who do not talk about a certain candidate for the author, just that the Stratford man, there is doubt about the Stratford man. So how long have you been so passionate about this Shakespeare and the Oxford? How long have yes. you been so passionate about this? Um, it's been like 35 years. Um, I saw a debate on television between a Shakespeare professor from a, a, you know, a famous university and versus Charlton Ogburn, who wrote a wonderful book called The Mysterious William Shakespeare. And those two debated on TV. And I knew nothing about this. And the uh, Charlton Ogburn talking about the Earl of Oxford was making point after point, you know, similar points I'm telling you. And it's like, wow, that really sounds good. It sounds interesting. And what about the other side? You know, the English professor from a prestigious university. What did he say? You're nuts. You're crazy. It's a nice detective story. But he, you know, like that, he could not support his own candidate. Documentation beats conversation in any aspect of anything. Yes. And you, you have more documentation from what I hear than what they... Yes, yes. And many of the contemporaries described Shakespeare as somebody else, too. They described him not openly, right? But if you read it a certain way, you'll say that you'll see that they were describing him as a nobleman and somebody who didn't want them to talk about him being the author because why did he use a pen name? Because nobility are not supposed to be involved in the theater. Oh, that, that was considered, you know, lo lower class to, to, to be involved. So yeah. during his lifetime, he wanted it to be kept quiet that he was doing this creative writing. But well, after maybe, his death, he should have gotten credit, you see. Yeah, I want okay. yeah, to plug your um, your thing, too, the ShakespeareOxfordFellowship.org. Yes, that's our organization. Yeah, and that's an organization that, you know, people want to check this out. You can, you know, there's like minds, you know, that are the same thing where, you know, we believe it's the 17th Earl of Oxford and not Bill with the green sack or wool sack. Exactly. You know, well, yeah. well, I'm not... Yeah. I'm not even sure if somebody found this information in a time capsule, they would even bring it forward because there's so much controversy as you're making light of it right now. I'm not sure if anybody found this information in a time capsule. He actually buried it that this was me in a time capsule. I'm not sure if it would come to light because it would discredit everybody with doctoral degrees, master's degrees. That's all right. Across the, so you, I'm not you, sure you it would even come to light. Yes. Well, you know, in, in my great, uh, hope is that we will find the Shakespeare play manuscripts, which there's not one page of a play manuscript that has survived. And if we're on the right track, yeah, that's our organization. If we're on the right track with thousands of people searching 
or anything connected to the Earl of Oxford, we could find it. But right now, they're looking in the wrong direction. It's not Stratford on Amos. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that was, you know, it's just, you know, don't look for the man, you know, named Shakespeare, you know, but instead search for the one that's using the name, you know, yes. and writing as Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yes. That, that was a good quote. And, okay. and um, in all things, you know, because we're on the thing about plagiarism, I got that from Nightlight with Mark Eddy and Catherine Children. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I, I am not personally taking credit, you know, credit for that one. So that um, one is all due credit to Mark Eddy and Catherine Children from that night light episode. So do yeah. not, yeah, do not get, well, you, know, you know, give me credit for that. Plagiarism is a very good point because if you talk to the, the Orthodox Shakespeare professor, he'll, he'll tell you that Shakespeare was, was plagiarizing other authors. And that is a great injustice. They, they say that because of the Stratford man's life. You know, they have to squeeze the plays um, in a certain time frame, which is wrong much later than when they were really uh, composed. So that's why they say, oh, well, he had to have borrowed from this guy who wrote a little earlier. He had to borrow from that guy. And, you know, it snowballs. It's not true. They were all borrowing from him. From him. Oh, nice. well, they got it all wrong. It's all upside down. <laughs> well, that's what I said. I mean, in a way, their argument is you're, they're making your argument while trying not to say that you were correct. They're like, well, these ones are clearly plagiarized. That's what I'm saying. He's <laughs> not the guy. I would say everything that you're correct. You know, William Shakespeare is not the author. This would be a man that is his whole work is plagiarism. He has been given credit for something he did not do. So in a way, they're arguing your point while trying to say, see, well, this was clearly plagiarized. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You, you picked it up really well. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it, it, and Catherine, uh, you know, speaking of this, uh, you know, including other authors, Looney makes uh, – a really interesting point about masterpieces, however, are the fruits of matured powers. And he lists uh, you know, Dante was over 50 when he wrote uh, the Divine Comedy. Uh, you know, uh, Sir Walter Scott and Cervantes. Uh, but he, here we have Shakespeare only in his early thirties, and yeah, you know, writing these uh, works that supposedly, uh, yeah, yeah, you would seem like they had the understanding of uh, you know the human nature of so someone who's you know in their sixties or seventies. Uh, that seems like another clue that we are dealing with someone uh, a, a totally different person than the traditional biography. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, they have Shakespeare, uh, supposedly the Stratford man, starting when he was in his 30s. Um, and, you know, that wasn't true for other writers. They were much younger writing. How can you just walk into the theater in your 30s with 
no connections at all and apparently no education <laughs> and write these great masterpieces. It just, it, it doesn't, doesn't make sense, you know? And I wonder. all the evidence we have for him is uh, related to money um, in theater investing, you know, and, and, and money lending. And I wanted to pass on a compliment to you too. Um, my sister, you know, she's watching and she said she wanted, this is the most articulate argument she's ever heard for this topic. You know, and this is, this is one that's, you know, convincing her that you are correct. Well, let me tell her something else. The Stratford man came from illiterate parents, right? Mm. Supposedly the writer of Hamlet Othello came from illiterate parents, doesn't make sense. And on top of it, his surviving children were illiterate as well. Does that make sense? No, that it's what you described with the Earl, you know, of Oxford. Here is this brilliant savant of a, of a child, you know, who's earning stuff at eight. This would make sense. You know, like I said, I make light of it. I, you know, calling him, you know, Bill with the wool sack. You know, it's just, here's a guy, you know. Yeah, it just here's this guy, you know, that he's being given credit, and there there's so many things to make the case now that this man would not have had the education required, the knowledge of writing style. He wouldn't have had this ability. I mean, he may have had he may have had passions, but he would not have had the necessary components to have created this work. Right on, yeah. And, and here's another point for your sister. When the Straffer man died, nobody said a word, which was totally unusual. Any other writer of the period, other note, poets would take notice of it and write about it. We would write like a, a poem or someone would note, take notice in a letter or something that the great author of King Lear died. Um, and these plays were very popular in his lifetime, right? So yeah. how come there was no notice? when the Stratford man died in 1616, you know? So that's another zero. It's zero after zero after zero. And it makes and sense not, that yeah, we're talking about a pen name, you know, not a, not a real, not a real yeah, person. Exactly. Name. Yeah, exactly. Wow, now, and I mean, on that, like I said, I, I really, I'm, Austin has it, I want to plug your website, shakespearesuppressed.com, okay. you know, you. for the book. Um, he's got, I had him bring up, so there's a picture right there for, for everybody. Yes. That is uh, the uncensored truth about Shakespeare and his works. Um, everybody go to everywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Well, you know. it's primarily at uh, Amazon and yes. also at, through my website, yeah. But def definitely everybody that's listened to this and wants more information, you know, through the things we've heard right here, this this sounds like a book that's you know very well researched, very well thought out, very well constructed. High, highly recommend everybody check this out. So go to Amazon, please support Catherine Children and get you know go to her website, go to Amazon, buy this book, show her some support and help spread the word that this man is the true author and not Bill with a wool sack. <laughs> William Shakespeare is Thank not you. the man awesome. that is good. That's awesome. So, yeah, really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to come on and talk with us. Mark, Eddie, um, I want to thank you very yes. much sir, 
for getting us in touch with her and doing all the hard work that you've done. Can't thank you guys enough. This was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. And we definitely, you know, want to just keep in touch with you as things progress, as you find out more information, do the, you know, spread it on. Like I said, we will, we will definitely, you know, get that out to the people as they ask. And we'll also, like I said, try to steer traffic towards you. Thank for more you. Information as well. You're really awesome. Appreciate so, it. So thanks again. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Have a good evening. All righty. All right. So guys, that was fantastic. And I said, I, it was one of those where I, when I was telling you, it's, it starts off where you're like, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, Shakespeare. I'm like, this is that book. That <laughs> There's more to it though. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. That's, that's where like today when we were talking, I said, just as you go through it, you're going to see that there is more to this. And as you start re realizing, you're like, okay, this guy is definitely not the author. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And she, she laid out an amazing, you know, amazing case. And it's one of those, I, I highly recommend the book. It's, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely gonna be anybody that's passionate about this wants, you know, you will definitely have a good read in that one. So this episode has been brought to you by Brock's Beard Care. Amazing beard oil. Go to brocksbeardcare.com, use promo code 3beards, and you're going to get 20% off your order along with free shipping. Amazing stuff made by the Willy Wonka Beard Oils. Kelly brought himself. And if you go there right now and check out our signature blend that he's crafted for us, that is going to help him feed his army of gnomes that he keeps trapped in cages and feeds oh, with and you have got to, you know, we've got to feed those gnomes better than this. This is just not, this just is not right. You know, meow mix is just not fit for this army. <laughs> let's, let's feed those gnomes better. So go, go check out Broad Spirit Care. Nanny Cakes, Nancy Burke, go to Nanny Cakes 407 on Facebook. Phone number is 407-923-2898. She will, you've got Kate Need here in the Central Florida area. She's going to be able to help you out mention us and you're going to get 15% off that cake order. If you're outside the central Florida area, I pray for you and your cake. Yeah, it may not arrive. It may not arrive in the status that you want, but <laughs> it will taste amazing. So everybody, thanks again for watching. Go to patreon.com forward slash three beards podcast. Then go to youtube.com. Three Beards Podcast is a channel name. Subscribe, hit that notification bell for more, and we will get this shared out for other people so that way they can hear about the great work of Catherine Children. And everybody else on, go to, um, I apologize, I am the name right now is failing me, but um, Mark Eddie's Nightlight um, show, and I am drawing a blank on channel name right now oh, okay. i will i will message i will message that out so that way people know so go follow that and listen to their work on nightlight they actually have some really really great programs as well along with it and watch their episode that they have with her because they go into a lot greater depth on some of these points that we were doing than us us bearded goofballs Pretty much. Uh, we appreciate we appreciate you guys checking us out and coming coming on again so if you're listening mark Catherine, thank you again so much. We appreciate it. Everybody, we will see you on Sunday night for our MMA fight 
thing. And then we will be back next Wednesday with an Wednesday with another topic. Everybody have a great evening. See you guys later. Have a great night.